let's dive in. And, 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 and I remind you that a little over uh, two years ago, God chose this season for us where he gave LifePoint an opportunity to purchase this facility. And so as a result, we decided uh, and prayed about, decided to go into this two-year generosity initiative. And, and we called the, the, the initiative, the theme, Beyond, built upon Ephesians 3.20 that says that God is able to do far more abundantly beyond all we ask or think or imagine according to the power that works within us. And we knew it was going to be a, sp a season specifically where God was choosing to use our finances as a tool to grow and stretch our faith in God. Now, you probably know God uses all sorts of situations and circumstances, right, to grow our faith. He'll use tragedy sometimes. Sometimes he'll use our joys. Sometimes he'll use some great challenges in our lives. God will use it all in this season. He chose to use finances. So we invited everybody here who was a part of the church at the time to, to begin to pray and ask this question, God, what would it look like for me to give in such a way that it actually changes me? And you prayed that and you committed a little over $4 million that by God's grace and your trust and faith in him, you would be able to give over a two-year period of time. And as a result of that, we were able to purchase this property. We were able to, to uh, buy this facility, purchase property next door. We were able to plant a church in Pasadena that we're actively a part of. We were able to, to buy property and build a church and plant a church in Mexico. Uh, now we've been working on some of uh, what we're hoping to do with our facility. And, and I forgot to talk to you about this morning. Do you have the images, right? So uh, here's just some of the things. We've been working on this behind the scenes, just starting to say, here, here's what, some, what we could envision our facility starting to be transformed and looking like. And so we're talking about making changes to the outside of the facility. You're going to kind of go quick through these. Uh, we're talking about expanding a courtyard area where we can hang out. This you can pause here. This is kind of the, the, um, the lobby area and kind of opening up a little bit and having it uh, be for more of us to be around in the area and be a little more welcoming, keep rolling there. Um, uh, kind of changing the way we have our connection hub so it's not taking up so much space. Here's the Kids Kingdom check-in area, kind of some images of what we could see it looking like with the kids, the kids' classrooms as you head in those kids. Kids getting excited about heading into their classrooms, some more pictures of the kids' areas. Uh, here's what we're look, thinking about for the student room and, and, and expanding that and seeing what it could look like for the students as they just have more and more kids coming and being a part of that. Uh, is that maybe the last pick? Uh, that's the last pick. So there's just some ideas we're, we're, we're praying about. We're thinking about what can we do to, to have our facility more line up with our vision as a church. So for anybody who's given to God through LifePoint these last couple years, you've given to beyond, and you've been a part of this. And I praise God for that, and I'm so thankful that you've been part of this journey with us. And as I mentioned last week, one of the incredible miracles of beyond is that you were and are so generous in spite of the fact that we never taught you how to be generous. You just decided to be sacrificially generous. We just didn't teach you how, which is part of the miracle of this season. So as we wrap up the beyond initiative these next few months, and as we have an eye towards the future and who God has brought it to our church in this season over the last couple years, as we move forward together, I want us to think about that. I want to talk about that, what generosity and how to be generous collectively as a body of Christ. And many of you have already picked up some of these principles of generosity without even knowing it because you prayed, hey God, what will it look like? What, what needs to happen in my life? that I give in such a way that it changes me. And that's pretty incredible that, that you started picking up some of these principles. Others of you, you're going to be learning through this series, the short series, you're going to be learning some of these principles for the very first time. 
And while we do talk, of course, about generosity as it pertains to our time, our talent, and our relationships, we do that all the time. The short, this specific series is zeroing in on that generosity as it relates to our finances, and here's why. So often, the one thing that stands in the way of us experiencing incredible joy The amazing life in Jesus Christ that he came to give us is this thing that Jesus talked about probably more often than anything else. He called it the love of money. Or our trust in what we falsely think that money provides. Things like security, comfort, peace, contentment. And Jesus knew tying money to all of that was an illusion. It's why Jesus had to talk about finances and our money so often. It's why Jesus had to tell us, do not worry about your money. Be content with what you have. I will provide for you. So I'm here for a couple weeks to say, hey, church, here's how we be generous. My goal isn't to get us to give. It's to help us become generous people. As we said last week, everybody gives. Every single person in this room gives something to someone somewhere at various times. And because we give, and some of us give quite a bit of money, or we give quite a bit of our time or our energy, because we give, here's here's the challenge, we have a a tendency to, to define ourselves by these random acts of our giving. The fact that we're pretty good at giving to somewhere, someone somewhere, actually masks a problem. And the real problem is that a lot of people think they're generous. They believe themselves to be generous. And as we discovered last week, most people are givers. They're very good at that. We're good at that. But most people aren't generous. Two different things. And Jesus wants to take us down a path of generosity. We're all incredible at random acts of giving in a situation or a circumstance or when someone has a need or there's a big need. You know, uh, I I love that, and I encourage you to do that. I was, in fact, a part of an incredible event last night, and a bunch of us were, and we went to this, and and it's connecting with an orphanage in Honduras, and what they're doing is amazing, and and it was time to to do the the auction, and and they were were doing um, dessert auctions. Has anybody ever been a part of a dessert auction? And so we had these dessert auctions, and someone at our table stepped up, and they bought a, 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 they auctioned, they bought a cake, and the cake was, uh, so, they, so they bought the cake, and let me show you, here's just two of the slices, this was Heather's and I's slice, and I got to tell you, I went very, very slow eating that cake, because when uh, the person sitting next to us, Winnie, heard that the cost of it was $650, yeah. there was her reaction, and she was like, that's a $50 bite. Somebody was generous at that table, and it was incredible. I mean, they, were, they gave a great amount, and that was incredible. So we encourage that type of giving. But generosity is not those random acts of giving. And when you become financially generous, not just with your time or your talent, but when we come, become financially generous with our finances, you will give more you will save more, and you'll start consuming less. And Jesus said in Acts chapter 20, verse 35, that when your life is ordered around generosity, he said you'll be happier. I was reading an article this week in um, National Geographic, of all places, and it was looking at <clears throat> three countries where these countries, they, through all their studies, they have a disproportionate um, degree or quality of happiness in those countries compared to the rest of the world. 
And they've figured out through the studying that there's six criteria to having the, uh, 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 to being happier. And these were country, this was, these were three countries that are happier than the rest of the world. And one of those six characteristics that they listed was generosity. And in the article, they talk about how people, no matter what income level, they talked about their generosity. Jesus knew if you order your life around generosity, you'll be happier. We all know Jesus isn't concerned about our money. He's focused on our heart. That's what Jesus was getting at in Matthew 6, 21. Is when he talked about, and he, he said, what you and I do with our finances that's where Jesus figures out where our heart is. And Jesus wants your heart. So God is inviting every single person here this morning to this incredible life, a life of generosity, of financial generosity. And we define financial generosity as being premeditated. It means you have a plan. It's calculated, which means it's not random. It's not a random amount, but it's a, it's a set amount. It's a set percentage that you've purposefully and prayerfully chosen. And then finally, your generosity is designated that you predecide ahead of time where you're going to send it. A bunch of you have been emailing me this week, and I just please keep sending them. I love hearing your generosity stories. One email grabbed me uh, in particular. This person wrote me a bunch of things, and then they said this. Lastly, I, I'd like to take this opportunity to share about my personal testimony on generosity. Over and above my tithing, I also give my offering to missions. This year, the state had increased our salary. The Lord impressed on me to also increase my offering after our salary increased. I have learned that giving means sacrifice. For this year, I resolved not to shop for more clothes and just use my old ones. I had learned to be content with what I have. God is faithful to provide my needs. May others be able to realize the need of being a generous person. Man, when they shared that, that just got my mind just swirling and spinning. And here's a person who's trying to grab that, that understands that every one of us, regardless of our income level, we can be a generous person if we learn how to be generous. Church, God wants this for you. He wants it for your life so that you can be free from what Jesus talked about, the love of money so that you can be free from that death grip of materialism in your life, so that you and I can get finally to these new levels of contentment and to begin to experience joy and peace and freedom, the, to be free to worship God rather than money. So here's our big idea for this morning. Here, here's kind of where it kind of kicks us off and leads us deeper today. Our greatest obstacle to becoming a generous person if we're going to be generous and learn how to be generous, our greatest obstacle to that is thinking and behaving like a consumer rather than being and thinking and behaving like a generous person. We think and behave like a consumer rather than thinking and behaving like a generous person. You know what the consumer mindset says? It says this, if it comes to me, it's for me. If finances, if money, if, if income comes to me, it's for me. If I get it, it's for me. And this leads us as Americans to this place where we spend everything we make and even more than we make. Last week we saw that, that over half of Americans spend $1.33 for every dollar that they make. And as a result, we end up in crazy, dumb, silly debt. And where does that leave us? It leaves us no financial margin in our life. 
Now, to help you see what we're talking about a little bit more clearly this morning, because that's what I'm hoping for, is that God will open our eyes to this topic. Because this is where we're headed this morning and where Jesus wants to take us, as we're going to see what he says in a minute, I want to ask you a couple questions to kind of get us thinking down this road. First question, how much more money would it take to break your habit of spending more than you make? How much more money would it take? 20%, how much more money would you need to break your habit of spending all that you make? Here's the answer. More money than you will ever get at one time. Right? More money than you will ever get at one time. Seriously, for the majority of us, we will not all of a sudden get this massive increase in our finances. Most likely, how does it come to you? Most likely it comes in the form of steady raises over your career. And as we get those raises, guess what we do? We spend everything that comes in. Why? Because money's not the problem. You see, where we're headed this morning in these couple questions is it's not an income problem for any of us. First of all, it's to start off, and I know this kind of can hurt. It's a jab, but it's a self-control problem. We do not lack money. I know we don't believe it, but we do not lack money. We lack self-control or self-discipline. Second question. How much more money would it take to break us of the habit of using debt or using credit cards or second mortgages to get what we want now? How much more would it take for you and I to start paying cash for every car we buy, every TV we buy, every home upgrade we make, every vacation we take, every child we put through college? How much more? What's the answer? More than you will ever get at one time. So consequently, as our income steadily goes up, Maybe occasionally we get blessed, right? Somehow, some way, and it even spikes. Our crazy habits tend to continue. They don't all of a sudden change. Why? Because it's a contentment issue, not a money issue. The more money we have, the more we look at our stuff, and we start thinking, oh, I have more money. I want bigger. I want better. I want faster. We end up having a self-control and contentment issue. It's not a money issue. Third question, how much more money would it take to create financial margin and live within our means? You ever thought about that one? How much more would it take to create margin? If you suddenly got a 20%, 50%, 100% raise, would you see a massive influx into most people's savings? What's the answer? Not really. Why? Because our current habits will continue. As we make more money, we spend more money. It's a discipline challenge, a discipline issue. Final question, how much more money would you and I need to erase our financial concerns and stop worrying about money? I mean, I want you to think about that for a second. Anybody here, when the, when the lotteries are really big, don't you, don't you, let me, let me just ask it this way. Does anybody, just be honest for me. I, I'm only asking for you to be honest once this morning. The rest of the time you can lie. But right now, <laughs> one time be honest. How many of you at one point during one of the lotteries that got really big, the mega, mega, mega ones, 
just took some mental energy and kind of did the what if. What if I won what I would do with the money? Raise your hand if you've done that. Come on, be honest here. Be honest. If someone's hand's not up, look at them and say, you're a liar. Look at them. Like, I came to church to be called a liar? Listen, we've all, we've all gone there. Oh, if I could have this, then I would finally be free of worrying about money. No matter how much money you make, I can show you somebody who makes 50%. You tell me how much you make. I can tell you somebody else that I know who makes 50% more than you, and they still worry. You tell me how much money you make. I can tell you, to show you somebody who makes 100% more than you. 5,000% more than you, and they still worry about money. Why? Worry is not a money problem. Worry is a spiritual problem. It's a spiritual problem. When you read about what Jesus says when he says, do not worry, he did not say to overcome your worries, get more money. He didn't say that. He didn't say to overcome your worries, spend more money. The Bible says in 1 Timothy 6, 17, it says, teach those who are rich in this world. We don't have time to go through the whole sermon about that proves we are all rich, but we are. We live in the top percentage in all the world, so we're in the elite group of people in the entire world, no matter what our income is in this room. We are the rich, so he's talking to us. Teach those who are rich in this world not to be proud and not to, what's the word? Not to what? Trust in their what? Money. Paul knew. God knew. Our challenge is we get proud and we trust in our money, which, which is so unreliable. Their trust, who is he talking to? You and I. Their trust should be in who? In God, who richly gives us all we need for our enjoyment. The reason you and I worry is because we trust in the wrong thing. Listen, church, if you don't get anything else out of this and you kind of tune off or tune off just a little bit, I hope if nothing else, the seed gets planted that our, that our finances, your finances, my finances are a deeply spiritual issue and deeply spiritual topic. Because for God, it's all about our heart. It's all about our trust. It's all about our faith. So let me summarize. More money does not generate more self-control. More money does not result in more discipline. And more money does not create more contentment or eliminate worry. You see, most Americans are driven by something. It's a consumption assumption. And the consumption assumption is simply this. If it comes to me, it's for me. And sure, of course I will give to someone or something when there's a need. But I'm not going to give so much that it truly impacts my lifestyle. I'm not going to give in a way that it causes me to rearrange or rethink about or reapproach my finances. But for those of us here this morning who are Jesus followers, for those of us here this morning, we genuinely try to listen to what Jesus says. We try to do what he's commanded. For those of us who, by our actions and behaviors as Jesus followers, who have found ourselves demonstrating by our action and behavior that basically what comes to me is for me and for my family, Jesus says in Luke 12, 15, he says that person is greedy. 
that person's greedy. He, Jesus said, be aware in that verse. He said, guard against every kind of greed. Notice what he attaches it to. Life is not measured by how much you have, by how much you own, by how much money you have. For anyone of any income who by their actions and behaviors are living as if money is mostly for them and their family, Jesus says, that person's greedy. Yes, the greedy still give. And some can give huge amounts. We all give, but according to Jesus, greed and generosity are not the same thing, which is why Jesus invites you and I to get off this crazy greed train. You see, Jesus knows the mentality that says, if it comes to me, it is for me. Jesus knows it's leading you one place, to discontentment. It's leading you, no matter what your income level is, And he's inviting you to live, you know, let's get off that crazy train. Let's get on a different crazy train. That transform us from being a consumer to being a person who's generous. From a giver to being extravagantly generous Jesus follower. So how do you get there? So what Jesus wants to do with us this morning and invite us to think differently. That's what we're doing today. We're we're doing the how in these messages And in these messages, we talk about how to be generous. The first start is in our mind. We have to think differently. I want you to turn to Luke chapter 12. If we can think differently about the consumption assumption, which says if if I have it, if it comes to me, it's for me. If we can think differently than that, it will eventually change our behavior. This is one of my favorite passages on this topic of greed and consumption, assumption, and generosity. I think Jesus, it's an incredible story. And Jesus is going to tell us this parable in Luke 12. And parables were creative stories by Jesus that he used to kind of deliver like a huge point. Luke chapter 12, let's pick up in verse 12, uh, 16. It's a passage I've looked at many times here. He says this at Luke 12, 16, The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. And Jesus knew all of his audiences thinking at that moment, yep, that's how it always is. The rich just get richer, right? That's what they're all thinking right there. This rich man thought to himself, verse 17, what shall I do? Because he, he had this huge windfall. I have no place to store my crops because that's kind of how they made money back then. It wasn't, you know, greenbacks. It was, it was, it was through their crops. I have so much stuff, he's saying. I have so much money. I've run out of ways to store all my stuff. And I know what you and I think. We think, oh, I'd love to have that problem because I'd manage it great, right? My money, my wealth. I, I, I have a three-bedroom house, but it's not enough for all my stuff. I have a two-car garage, but I got four cars out there. Verse 18, then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store my, this is a very important word, I want to say it out loud together. And there I will store my what? My surplus grain. Do you know what he did in this passage? He did what he had always done. The more he got, the more he tore down and built bigger ones for himself. Listen, the more money you make, doesn't mean that you will change your current behaviors. Please don't miss that. Just because you have more, that doesn't mean all of a sudden you will change your current behaviors. You will continue to do what you have been doing. In the modern era, we don't tear down. You know, we swap out, we change, we move. 
we store. I won't ask you to raise your hands if you've ever rented a storage place just to store all the stuff that you don't use. But it's big business, isn't it? Um, from what I've read, and I, I could be inaccurate with this, so, so give me a little latitude, but from what I've read, from what I've seen, it appears like Warren Buffett seems to be a generous person. Again, don't, if you come back and say, hey, I saw this, he's not generous. But in my way of thinking, as I've understood, here's a guy who's committed to giving away all his wealth. Here's a guy who still lives in the same house that, that, that he, you know, he's been in the same house for 30, 40 years. He didn't tear down and build bigger ones and newer ones. And the reason I was thinking about him, because on the other hand, Saudi Prince Mohammed bin Salman, he pulled into a harbor last year in France in his giant yacht. And while in that harbor in, I think it was the second biggest yacht in the world, he looks over and sees the first biggest yacht in all of the world. He goes up to the guy who owned that yacht, and right there on the spot, he bought the yacht. Because he said, I have, I have a surplus, and I need, to, I need bigger, I need more, I need better. How much was this new yacht that he bought, which by the way, the guy literally vacated within the, within the hour. How much money did he pay for that? $500 million. Right there on the spot. And I think about the contrast of two people. And the reason this guy in the story, maybe even the reason the Saudi prince, I don't know him, but the reason the guy in the story, he did what he'd always done because of his consumption assumption, which says, if it comes to me, it's for me and what I want to do with it for me. And the fact that he had more did not mean he would now all of a sudden become generous. It just meant that he was richer. Remember, it's a fallacy to think one day when I have more, when I'm rich, then I'll be generous. generous. Remember, that's a fallacy. Rich people are rich. Generous people are generous. There is no correlation between the two. So unless you and I begin to think differently so that we can eventually break the cycle that we're in and we can begin to practice principles of generosity, unless we break that cycle, we will continue to make it all about ourselves. We'll continue to experience worry. We'll continue to experience the discontentment. Verse 19, he goes on, the guy, this rich guy, loaded, he has more than he can imagine. He says, I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. In other words, I'm good, I'm done, I'm golden. You know what's fascinating about this as I think about this story? Can you, I want you to go back right now, depending, no, no matter what age you are today, but I want you to go back to when you made, got your first paycheck. Okay, I just want you to think back. For some of you, that was, you know, like a week ago. Uh, you know, for others of you, it was a couple years ago. For others of you, it was like 40, 50, 60 years ago. I want you to go back and imagine telling that self how much money you would be making today, you know, five years later, 10 years later, 20 years, 50, 60 years later. And if, you're, if it was like 20, 30, 40 years later, and you tell that self, you know, my first paycheck when I worked, you know, at, at a grocery store, or my first job out of college, and I tell myself 30 years later what I'm going to be making, you'd be thinking, oh my goodness, I can't imagine I'll be making that much money. Man, if I'm making that kind of money, I'll, I'll be debt free. I will be debt-free. I will be worry-free. I will be so generous. Can I just ask you, did it play out that way? 
right? I mean, did it play out that way for most of us? Not all of us, but for most of us, the answer is no, it didn't work out that way. Why? Because most of us are making considerably more than whenever that was back then, and we still have debt, and we're still discontent, and we still worry. Why? Because all through the years, we've continued to do what what we've always done. So this guy thinks everything's all good. I can chill. I can enjoy the fruit of my labor. I, I, I have so much to spend on myself that I can take it easy. I can travel. I can see the world. I can party. I can have fun. I can buy a yacht. And we would tend to say that sounds like the dream life. That's where we go because we don't recognize this topic as a spiritual issue. And here's a verse. Look at what verse 20 said. Luke 12, but God said to him, You wise, wise, wise individual. (laughs) What did he say? You what? You fool. This very night, your life will be demanded from you. See, God didn't call him a fool because he was rich. God called him a fool because he was confused. He was confused. He thought he had plenty of time. Plenty of time to do what? Plenty of time to spend on himself, consume on him for himself, save for himself. But the story says tonight he dies. And then Jesus asked him a question. It's the same question that he has for you and I. Look at verse 20 again. Uh, this very night your life will be demanded of you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? And what's the answer? Who will get what you have prepared for yourself? What's the simple answer? Somebody else, right? Why? Why are they going to get it? In this story, why are they going to get it? Is it because he was incredibly generous and gave it away to them? Is that why? No. He was taking care of himself, storing up for himself. It was because he died, because he was dead. All that he saved up for himself to consume later, he doesn't get to do, but somebody else does. And then Jesus, being this this brilliant teacher that he is, he steps out of the parable. He turns to the audience, and he says this. Verse 21, this is how it will be. And this is future tense, right? This is how it will be. And what's the this? Here's a guy who had all this, and he was ready to consume and save for himself and for himself in the future. And now all of a sudden he's dead. Jesus says, this is how it will be. What does the this refer to? It refers very simply to a complete and total loss for the guy. This, which is a total loss, because he spent his whole life gathering for himself, buying bigger, storing up, and better for self, saving for his future consumption. And here's the knife in the coffin that Jesus gives and delivers. He says this. Look at this, verse 21. This is how it will be. For those who store up things for themselves, but are not, and what's the word? Are not what? Rich towards God. And Jesus, I picture him standing out there. He slams down the, the mic, booyah, and he walks off the stage. He's like, I'm, I'm out of here. Good night, everybody. It was a brilliant teaching. Brilliant. You ask, what does rich towards God mean in this passage? Does it mean being rich with my time? Jesus is pretty clear. The answer is no. Does it mean... Being rich towards God by praying a lot. No. 
is rich towards God being at church every Sunday and serving as an usher on the worship team in King's Kingdom or serving others? Nope. That's all great stuff, and we're called to do all that and give our time and our talent. But the way that Jesus says be enriched towards God in this passage, in this context, is about financial generosity, sending our financial resources to God's direction, towards God's heart, and to the things that matter to God, to God-related stuff. So here's the principle of generosity from this story. Generous people don't assume it's all for them to consume. Remember, we're talking about thinking differently. Generous people don't assume that everything that's come to them is for them to consume. People who have ordered their life around a generosity mindset have simply said, all that I have, it's not all for me. I don't assume it's all for me to consume. They recognize, they realize, since it will be taken away from them eventually, you can't take it with you when you die. Some try, but you can't. They recognize since it's all going to be taken away. And Jesus said, if you only spend on yourself and not on, you know, be rich and generous towards yourself, but not rich and generous towards the things of God, Jesus said that'll be a total loss. Since it's going to be taken away, I need to now get some of that into circulation for God and for his purposes and for his priorities. And I need to do it now. So how do you be generous? Very simply, change jobs. Change jobs. What what do you mean, Chris, change jobs? Yes, very simply, you change jobs. You fire yourself. In fact, I want you to look at the person next to you right now and say, you're fired. Get them out of here, right? Fire yourself. Change jobs from being an owner to a manager. An owner lives with the consumption assumption that all I have, all that comes to me is for me and for my family. And sure, I'll give a little bit from time to time. I might even give a lot. But a manager no longer assumes all that they have is for themselves to consume. It's been given to them so that they can give it away in a pre-planned, premeditated, calculated way where you choose where it goes. And if this topic gets under your skin, and if this topic makes you frustrated and angry or, or at me or at God or the church, it's very simple. It just means your possessions are possessing you. And it means that, you have, that, that your finances have control over your life more than you realize and not God. You haven't fully embraced this topic of finances being a deeply spiritual issue. Jesus wants to release you from that. And so while you have time, I don't want to be prophetic here, but you don't know when this very night is coming for you, do you? Right? So while you have time, be rich towards God. And as you get better and better and better at it, it's going to loosen the grip of stuff on your life, and you will give more, and you will save more, and you will consume less. So change jobs. Look at yourself in the mirror this week and say, you're fired. No longer be an owner, but be a manager. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Almighty God, thank you for sending us and delivering a message to us that you've invited us to be a manager, to think differently about what you've given us. And so, God, I pray you'd help us to be rich towards your kingdom, towards your priorities, towards what matters to you. 
Help us with this, God. Help us to live a life, not just being givers, but to be generous people, because this is what you've called us to, and I ask for this in Jesus' name. Amen.